everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the I'll Be Back podcast. Uh, this week, we are joined uh, once again by awesome guest, uh, recurring guest from AlScoop.com, John DiCarlo. Uh, John, thank you for joining us again. Uh, take the time out of your uh, your busy work schedule. I know classes started up last week, so you're kind of back in the full swing of thing with uh, Temple school mode, uh, but thank you. Oh, no problem, buddy. Glad to do it. Um I would be doing a, a disservice if I didn't start off by saying I uh, just wanted to say condolences to you and your family. Uh, your your father passed away over the summer. Uh, so just wanted to say that and start the show off with that. Uh, thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. It means a lot. Means a lot. Uh, no, I, I know uh, you, you've said, you know, a lot of people have reached out to you over the summer and you have felt, uh, you know, just the, the temple community showing up for you. Uh, it's good to see and good to hear that. So I just wanted to give that to you as well. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Cancer, cancer sucks, as I'm sure... Just about any of your listeners know, I don't know a family that has not been affected by it. And my dad had a, a rare sarcoma cancer that apparently only affects like 2% of the population. And I don't know why people in this world have to suffer from the disease and he got it and he fought it for a little bit more than three years. And uh, uh, I just love him and miss him a lot. He didn't go to Temple, he went to Drexel, but he became a big temple fan over the years so it, it certainly is weird to have another season starting and uh, another eagle season starting and, and just that you, you hear people talk about this all the time and every cliche in the world is true i just can't believe i'm not going to get another phone call from him and anytime i would go on road trips to cover games my dad would say now i've been down there before and you're going to hit this speed trap here and you might hit this snag here and i would always say dad this, that's what Waze is for. That's what Google Maps is for. I'll be fine. So he was an incredible human being. I'll really miss him. Um, well, and you've done um, a lot of great work too. So I think we've talked about on this podcast. I know you know just fundraising for pediatric cancer, right? Yes, yes. Um, actually, that's when I uh, I shaved my head for St. Baldrick's, and uh, I know uh, you guys helped me. I know I think you guys were retweeting that when I was doing that. So I always appreciate that. Yeah, and you can get away with shaving your head. I can't. So. <laughs> I say I can for now. It grows back for now. And 10 years, ask me again. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we do have a game on Friday. As you, you know, Temple football's new season is on, uh, you know, a couple, couple days away from starting off. Um, so we have, a, you know, Power 5 conference. Duke, whether they're good or bad in that conference is uh, kind of up for debate. But um, what, what can you tell us? I mean, yesterday we had the uh, official Temple depth chart released. So give us a little more insight who might be playing a lot. Uh, what can you tell us about this game Friday and what we can expect? If we start with the depth chart, I, I understand why, you know, if you're fanning, you're looking at it, you might be, you know, a little surprised on the surface. I can't say that I was totally surprised. I didn't, I didn't have it pegged down to, you know, every single player on the nose, but a couple things I'll add. Number one, at a couple of the positions, Stan Drayton talked about, you know, the fact that injuries do play a part here. And, you know, if you look at the, you look at the tight end position and short, if you look at James Delapaska at the top of it and Jordan Smith, and then David Martin Robinson third, you know, Stan Drayton said that the that, that DMR is going to be a game time decision and talked about health being a factor there. They have to get him healthy and injuries have been just part of his journey at Temple. That's not to take anything away from James Delapaska and Jordan Smith, but I, I think it's our job as reporters and, People know this is to provide context. So, you know, we'll see. And I think Stan said this, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, we'll see when it comes to starters, we'll see what, what formation they open up with. You know, you never know. I mean, they could, 
you know, Temple could have the opening kickoff, force a turnover in the opening kickoff, and then their drive could start, you know, first and first and goal from the seven. That would certainly affect <laughs> who they start on first down there. So we'll see. So health plays a part in that. You look at the cornerback positions, and yes, Jalen McMurray's a single-digit guy, and he's he's atop the depth chart at one of those positions. Seeing Dayon Hawkins there backing him up for the time being. I think is encouraging. They, they got him out of the Haverford school, recruited him out of the Haverford school when he was, uh, I think, a track guy from what I remember. He's very fast and just need to develop more as a football player. So if he is at least showing up on the depth chart at this juncture, heading into the opener for whatever it's worth, I think that's encouraging. I think what people's eyes were drawn to is Keyshawn Paul being third on the depth chart there, and then Cameron Ruiz and a third at the other spot behind Elijah Clark and Dominic Hill. So in, in Cameron Ruiz's case, he had what, what Stan Drayton deemed to be a significant leg injury that, that, that forced him to miss all of spring ball. And then Stan, you know, has you know said yesterday when I asked him about Cam that, you know, he is healthy, he's going to be ready to go, but that, you know, his health played a part there. Um, the other thing too is I think that fans tend to forget that a new staff is for the most part going to give everyone a clean slate. And a new staff doesn't necessarily think what the old staff thinks. So, you know, this is going to sound like it's a shot at the entire roster, and it's really not, but it's, it's our job to be real and frank and, and objective and fair here. And they were 3-19 last year. So all of these players competing for roster spots were players on a 3-19. So for now, you know, guys like Isaac Moore and Adam Klein, have you know risen to the top there at the at the you know the left tackle and right tackle positions they're single digit guys you know Jalen McMurray is a single digit guy you know a guy like Darian Varner is a single digit guy he's listed as the uh one of the starters along the defensive line uh you know Keyshawn Paul is a solid football player but maybe at this time <laughs> the staff doesn't think that Keyshawn Paul is as good a football player as Jalen McMurray or you know, maybe they really think that Elijah Clark and, and Dominic Hill have edged out Cam Ruiz despite his injury, but that could all change next week. You know, I've just seen too much to this. Every coach does depth charts a little differently. I've seen coaches who sometimes just don't even really update their depth charts, don't give a damn about depth charts. I think some of them try to manipulate depth charts to to throw their opponents off. I'm not saying that's what Stan Drayton is doing here. I think he was pretty forthright and honest yesterday, but, you know, I, I think that players see the depth chart, they might respond to it. They might hear about it from their coaches, I would think. And, but this will change, you know, this depth chart will change, you know, if, if your temple and it doesn't change too much and, and things are pretty consistent, then, you know, you've had a real spot on analysis with your roster, but injuries happen, you know, players improve or players can slip up. So, you know, I wasn't totally surprised by, I think a couple of other surprises while we're looking at the depth chart, you know, is that Chris Wiesahan, at least for now, heading into week one, has a lot of faith in a couple of young and untested players there in the interior of his offensive line. And James Famineau, the Houston transfer, has only played a couple games at Houston. And then Jermaine Donaldson at right guard at 6'4", 305. He's put on some good weight. I've heard good things about you know, the camp that he's had. And his name's come up a couple of times. But, you know, as of now, again, not a huge surprise because it's not like they had – like a, a, a solid starting five there, unquestioned starters and unquestioned leaders. Again, Isaac Moore and, and Adam Klein don't surprise you, but um, 
you know, Weez was talking, I think last week about James Famine, who's or last week or two weeks ago, whenever he spoke to us, you know, was praising just, you know, his, his feet, his technique, and they like him a lot. So, you know, he's being backed up by Chevy Trask, uh, Wisdom Porsche at center is being backed up by Richard Rodriguez. But, you know, if you follow our coverage, if you've heard Chris Weezyhan talk, he cross trains his linemen and wants them to be able to play multiple positions. Again, and I think in, in his world, if Adam Klein can stay at right tackle, he stays at right tackle. And if Wisdom Porsche at, you know, 6'3", 305 as a redshirt sophomore can hold things down at center and there aren't issues there with the exchange and the snap, then they're in good shape there. If Wisdom Porsche struggles, wouldn't be surprised to see Adam Klein shift over to center and and they like Victor Stolfall a lot. And he's 6'8", 300. He's a big dude. So, you know, again, I don't know how Friday night's going to go, but if there are a couple of, and I'm certainly not wishing this on Wisdom Porsche, but if you have a couple of fumbled exchanges in the first half and Durham, would anybody be surprised if they roll out with Adam Klein at center and they say, we're not, we're not going to let this go on, you know, so we'll see how it goes, but it's, it's fun. It gives people stuff to talk about, gives us stuff to cover and, and at least the fans care to react to it. But, um, you know, I wasn't totally, totally surprised that they're, they're certainly looking for someone to emerge at running back between Ed Sadie, Darvon Hubbard, uh, Jakari Norwood is a guy that, that Stan Drayton seems really high on, but um, I, I think once you kind of sift through things and think it out in your head, that the depth chart I think isn't as surprising as I think people might think it is on on a first reaction. Uh, no, and everything you just said, I mean, that was a great great analysis and drop down of it, especially with the O line. And you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I watch YouTube videos on offensive line play. And I definitely never played offensive line. So uh, for me to critique it is uh, tough. But, um, yeah, definitely well, more. And... <laughs> no, no worries there. Uh, more inclined were definitely kind of like the obvious ones. I think the only one, if I had to predict, and just based off, you know, your guys' coverage and just some of the other, like the only name I really heard was I would have thought maybe Jimto Abedegwo would have maybe possibly been the one of the guard stop, spots. But that's the only one I can think of. Um, for corners, as you mentioned them, uh, not seeing Iverson Clement in the, you know, on the sheet at all was a little shocking just because they moved him there. I thought if they moved him there, you know, from running back, maybe he could have, they did it for a reason, but you know, it's all, it's also hard to ask a guy who just started at this position within the last six months to be on the depth chart. So maybe he's just not where, maybe he's just not ready. You yeah. Know, I understand. I understand he was a four-star recruit coming out of Rancocas Valley high school. Um, and he, he transferred to Temple I know that he had the, you know, I mean, made things public about, you know, what, you know, what he thought of, of the previous, you know, strength and conditioning staff, but, you know, maybe he's just not where they want him to be yet. And again, we have not talked to Iverson Clement uh, during preseason camps, so I, I can't speak on his behalf. I, I, we try to, you know, we try to ask about as many players as we can. We really only get to see the first 15 minutes of practice, which is just you know, basic stretching and drills. Yeah. And most teams kind of, most teams kind of play it that way because they don't want to show you too much of, of what's going on. Yeah. And as you mentioned, uh, Jalen McMurray got the, uh, the single digit as well. And we see him as a starter. Um, but I think him and uh, Adonica Sanders were probably the two surprisers for the single digits and starters. Would you kind of agree with that? Not really, only because, yes, on the surface, Adonica Sanders comes in 
as a transfer from Georgia Tech. And yes, Jalen McMurray played in like four games last year. And he's, you know, he is, uh, again, certainly a, he's a redshirt freshman. He's a relative newcomer to the program. But again, this staff comes in blank slate. Yes, they review film. They, they know what these guys put on tape last season. But I really think everybody had a clean slate. They have their own evaluations. And again, all we can really do, like I was saying earlier, is we're not there, you know, seeing every minute, every snap, every rep of practice. So all you can do is just ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. And and their names kept coming up. And Stan was saying, you know, talking about Adonica Sanders, he's a real guy. He's a real guy. Uh, they kept, you know, kind of raving about Jalen McMurray. So, I mean... Um, you know, before camp started, would I have said Jalen McMurray is going to be a single-digit guy or Adonica Sanders is going to be a single-digit guy? Probably not. Um, it's happened before in terms of uh, Rocky Singh coming in as a transfer out of Presbyterian and coming in and getting a single-digit right away. Doesn't sound like rocket science, but a lot of times you just you ask, like, hey, who looks good out there? I do think that players, some players and coaches have become a little bit more protective with that information. And, you know, sometimes I might ask an offensive player, hey, you know, obviously you guys are, are concentrating on your playbook and your thing, concentrating on your area, but who looks good when you're lining up against your teammates? You know, when you're looking into the secondary, the defensive secondary, or if you're an offensive lineman lining up against the defensive line, who looks good to you? More often than not, now a lot of guys will say, you know what, the whole group looks good. Everybody's working hard. And you're like, all right, I tried. You know, sometimes you can bring up, you know, sometimes you just want to keep it open-ended to see what names come up and it's good to keep it open-ended. Sometimes you can ask about specific guys, but, you know, Adonica Sanders' name had come up and Jalen McMurray's name had come up. So, you know, kind of, kind of surprised again, but again, you know, in Adonica Sanders' case, with all due respect to the returning receivers, he's, he's not coming back to, to fight you know, Devontae Adams, Jerry Rice, and, you know, you know, uh, uh, A.J. Brown is, is competition, <laughs> you know, it's, and, you know, even a corner, like I said, you know, Cam Ruiz and, and Keyshawn Paul were very solid cornerbacks on a three and nine team last year. Now, again, how they respond to different coaching, how they respond to Jules Montanar's coaching, DJ Elliott's coaching, we'll, we'll see. And Cam had, like we said, a leg injury. So, um, but Jalen just seems to look and act the part of a guy that really has his act together. If, you know, if you look at the, you know, the, the practice blogs that the, the athletics communication staff puts together, the rich bird puts together, you know, Jalen McMurray has been described as a guy that's, I think in their first preseason practice picked off, you know, first attempt picks it off. So he talked uh, when he talked to us, uh, God, every, all the days are blurring together. Last time we had media availability with players, you know, he said that his work ethic started when he was in fifth grade. His dad was working him up, or excuse me, waking him up for 5 a.m. workouts. So you're like, wow, okay. <laughs> I wasn't doing that in fifth grade. So no. yeah, we'll, we'll, see if it all, we'll see if it all translates. Um, you know, if you're Jalen McMurray and you've earned a single digit, the hope for him and the, and the staff is that he goes out and has a really good game against Duke. If he falters a little bit, you know, maybe Keyshawn Paul slips up there. And again, multiple cornerbacks will play Friday night and we'll see how they all respond. But um, again, the more camp progressed, the more media availability progressed. I wasn't 
totally shocked just based off of kind of just reading their body language or more importantly, just listening to what they were saying. Uh, no, and it's uh, Adonicus Sanders, especially is somebody I, I wanted to keep talking about. Um, I was actually hopped on a, a Duke podcast last night. And if you look up Adonica Sanders stats, they weren't too great at Georgia Tech, but he had one game where he basically single-handedly won them the game. And yeah. uh, the the Duke, uh, the guy who hosted the podcast, Jordan, he was he did not forget about that at all. I think he is still scared to see Adonicus line up uh, on Friday against them. And when I told him about the single digit thing and said Adonicus got one, uh, I think that only made him a little even more afraid. So I was like, hey, he's had a great uh, camp and great introduction to Temple football. So uh, I, I, it sounds like the Duke fans are circling him on the depth chart already. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, again, he he's played well against against Duke. He's a pretty pretty, you know, understated, soft-spoken guy. And he has basically said, yeah, I've had some of my best games against Duke. And, you know, Stan Drayton describes him as a, a very crisp route runner and a guy that gets the ball on traffic and has done all the right things. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if that magic continues for him. And But, you know, Kelly Quinlan, who's the, the editor of the, the Rivals website that covers Georgia Tech, I remember was telling, telling Kyle that, you know, he thought basically the Temple got a pretty good player in the portal when they got him. So I'm sure that Chris Wiesenham was able to give a, a pretty detailed evaluation of, of what he can do as a player with Wies going down to Georgia Tech for, for three seasons and then coming back. So, um, yeah, it'll be a, be a storyline to watch on Friday night. Um, sticking in the wide receiver room, another name that we haven't heard too much of, but he is listed second, I guess, as one of the wide receiver spots, uh, Ian Stewart. Have they said anything about him? Because he's a transfer in from Michigan State. Yeah, uh, I haven't I, heard much about him, just see, saw his name and I was a little surprised. I mean, I asked Stan about him yesterday. You know, so Stan Drayton had the, the second of his weekly press conferences, his weekly Monday press conferences yesterday. I asked him about Ian Stewart. And I think he said, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, we needed him to get healthy and he got healthy. And, you know, he's a, um, you know, a, a bigger guy. I think he's 6'3", 210. He's a redshirt sophomore, still has a lot of, they hope, a lot of football ahead of him. And get another guy who, you know, they, they think when he's healthy, he can compete and can, he's a, he's a bigger receiver. So again, another guy there, again, I understand that Amon Anderson's played some football for him that, you know, that, um, you know, that Jose Barbones played some football for them. And, but a lot of the other names are untested, like Malik Cooper, like Quezzy Evans. Um, but yeah, I mean, it sounds yesterday, again, when you, when you ask about him, they, that he's gotten healthier. So it sounds like he was banged up a little bit in camp and, they like what they've seen of him, uh, you know, whether he's, whether they move him around, if he's in the slot or if they bump him outside. Again, it, it's 6'3", 205. They are 6'3", yeah, 205. Looking at the at the depth chart here, 6'3", 210, excuse me. Um, they like his size. So, again, we'll see if he goes out and makes some plays on Friday night. Um, two more questions about the depth chart, and then we'll get into the game Friday night. Uh I feel like I, I kind of glossed over it real quick, but they did name Mathis a starter. Um, you know, hypothetically going in this year, you know, him and Patterson could duke it out for who's the starter. Mathis gets it. Um, do you think he has like a short leash or has Drayton alluded to that? Are we going to get the, you know, packages for Patterson or we have to wait and see Friday? I don't know that he is. I don't get the sense that he's on a short leash and that it was a super, super, super tough decision where he just – edged out Quincy Patterson. You know, it when I when I asked Stan Drayton about Quincy last week, um, or was it, a, uh, yeah, uh, 
I think it was last week, you know, uh, he, they moved uh, media availability from Friday to Thursday, I think. And um, Stan initially said last week at his first Monday press that he was going to need more starters this week, but you know, he revealed the, the Dewan Mathis decision. And, uh, you know, he said, we just have to get, again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he just said like, you know, Quincy's been the product of, of now three different coaching staffs and we got to continue to work with him, but he does have a live arm. He's a big guy who can run it. So if they do bring him in there, it's, it's not like he's lacking arm strength, but I do just get the sense that, that Dewan won that job pretty clearly. Now, He's got a lot to work on too. His mechanics were a little messed up last year. I think it, you know, one throw, it looks like he's got the arm talent and another throw you're thinking he kind of sailed that or he underthrew that. But I think, you know, I'm not saying Danny Langsdorf is, is the, the greatest quarterback whisperer in the entire country, but yeah, he's a pretty good and pretty seasoned and experienced coach. And he's, he's got some NFL experience. I think the one will probably respond fairly well to that again, based off of what, they say when you ask about the one, they seem pretty pleased with this progress. My educated guess would be that you will see a package or two for Quincy Patterson. I don't think it's, again, I don't think it's a neck and neck situation where like if Dewan goes in and, and goes, you know, one for five on his first six attempts that boom, he's going to be out of there. Now, I think where you could see Quincy Patterson a little bit more is if things are a little stagnant in the run game early on and Ed Sadie and Darvon Hubbard and Jakari Norwood aren't making a ton happen if they tried to trade Blair and that's well it's a lot the four backs to fit in the first couple of series of the game but or if they see that that, that Jermaine Donaldson and and James Famine aren't getting push in the interior of the offensive line at the guard positions yeah maybe they trot Quincy Patterson out there to see if they can make something happen in, in the run game there or, or run a trick play or something like that. But I do think that I do get the sense that Dewan, uh, you know, won the job fairly clearly, but again, he's, he's got a lot to prove too. Um, no, and it's, I think that's just obviously quarterback position always, always the most talked about. And then with Dewan last year had his ups and downs, you bring in Quincy. So it's just definitely somebody, something that everybody has been uh, paying attention to. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you know, Stan said next, you know, this was last week. He said he'll be announcing the depth chart, but he did it the way he announced Mathis. I was I felt a little more confident in it the way he announced it last week, as opposed to waiting till uh, the depth chart came out this week. Um, last one about the depth chart. Um, I really like Varner um, and the the D line. I, I think they're just going to rotate a lot. Uh, but linebacker is really the one question mark, not just necessarily question mark. I think last year was just so tough to judge them because they had a lot of young guys playing last year. But as you mentioned, three and nine team and. Um, just the linebacking crew, what do you expect out of them? And do you think that is, again, will they just kind of rotate those guys or are those more guys that are set in stone starters? No, I think, again, I, I think, you know, Stan said yesterday that they plan to play like a second wave of, of, of guys. And it's not like, again, these are still newish players playing with a new staff and there aren't too many guys on the, on the roster right now that you would consider to be stone cold locks at their position. So along the D line and the linebackers, I mean, they, they've said good things. It sounds like they like what Trey Thomas, a, a Juco transfer has given them as a pass rusher at that outside linebacker position. I'll be you know, interested to see what DJ Elliott does with these simulated pressures where you don't know where the, the pressure is coming from and you're trying to keep uh, an offense guessing there. Um, you know, so Jordan McGee, 
you know, again, if they, if they open up in a, you know, in a, in a three, four and, and Leighton Jordan and Trey Thomas, your outside linebackers, they're also going to be trying to pressure the quarterback. It sounds like Leighton Jordan has progressed as a pass rusher, but between like Darian Varner, Leighton Jordan and, and Trey Thomas, I think they're looking for, you know, who's that next great pass rusher. And last year, that's where things have fallen off. There was always some sort of progression, you know, from, you know, from a Muhammad Wilkerson to a, a Hassan Reddick to, you know, a, a, a Jacob Martin or Matt Ioannidis on the interior. And, um, and then, you know, a guy like Arnold Ebiketti developing, like who is that next guy? And for the first time in a while, kind of fell off a little bit last year. Now, Darian Varner again, led them in sacks, but he had three sacks. Now he was playing in about, you know, 20 pounds heavier last year and he was playing more on the interior. He cut some weight, he's playing more outside. They seem pleased enough to offer him a, a single digit and wearing that number nine. And that's, again, some of the guys I just mentioned wore that number, Ioannidis and Jacob Martin and, and Muhammad Wilkerson. So I think there's a little bit of healthy pressure that applies there. But in terms of the the linebackers, I, I sounds like they like what they've seen from guys like Leighton Jordan and, and Trey Thomas. You know, Mahima um, Cargo, who had played some safety, they, he's back at, at, at outside linebacker. You know, again, I know that, that Kobe Wilson was a popular name because he had a Georgia offer during the duration of his recruitment or during at one point during his recruitment, a Georgia offer. And I think they still like him, but right now he's listed behind Jacob Hollins, another Juco transfer who is, you know, uh, a, a tad taller than Kobe Wilson. Uh, so we'll see. And I think they really, again, Jordan McGee is another single digit guy. He's ahead of Vandy Rigby, who's played a lot of football for them. So relatively young group, but you add a couple of like, you know, if you add a couple of, of proven pieces there in, in Hollins and, and Trey Thomas, who are Juco guys that can come in right away and be kind of flexible and, and, and versatile. Again, they're, they're a group that I'm really interested in watching too, because again, the pass rush isn't just coming from those front three guys and whatever you know formation they they open up in so i don't know if you know demeric morris and and jalen satchel are more you know space eaters and and block occupiers whatever you want to call them but it sounds like they want darian to get off there after the quarterback but those outside linebackers are gonna have a role in that too yeah and it's funny you bring up you know some of the stats from last year and who played like i last week i jumped the gun a little bit and just did a couple twitter polls on who might lead the team in sacks and tackles and like i think you, you said Varner led the team last year in sacks with three. And, like you know, I my options were limited. Like, I think I'd give Andy Rigby as one of my leading tackler options because everybody else ahead of him graduated. And I think he only had, like, 40-some solo tackles last year, which isn't, you know, saying much. And it, just, it was – and now he's not even starting on the depth chart. So, um, you know, it is tough to look at his stats from a three and nine team and then kind of predict who might do good this year because just nobody did too good last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's but I mean, fans may not care about this one way or another, but it's what makes it interesting for us to cover when there's a coaching change. And again, I hate to repeat myself, but new staff brings in new opinions, new viewpoints, and um, some good stories come out of it. You know, some guys will will elevate their game to a new level, and some guys that that people believe to be really solid football players just sort of solid football players, or maybe they're not scheme fits, and that that happens. A lot too. I mean, it, uh, on the flip side of that, you know, again, I mentioned Jakari Norwood's name earlier. If you look at his stats from Illinois, they don't wow you. And he was not, he was not an important part of their backfield rotation, but 
they really like him. They hope that he just, you know, did his best football still ahead of him. And, and his name still keeps coming up when Stan Drayton talks about him. Stan Drayton knows what good running backs look like now, but by no way, shape, or form, by comparing him to Carlos Hyde and Ezekiel Elliott and, you know, Bijan Robinson, the guys that he's coached, Brian Westbrook, but keeps mentioning his name. So again, that this, the, door to the transfer portal, you know, swings both ways. So sometimes again, they're, they're the beneficiary of it. They lose some players, but that's what makes it fun when a new staff comes in. They, they find a different role for a guy or they take somebody else from a different program. That's a fit and good stories come out of that. And in, in Temple's case, you know, hopefully for, for their sake, that some success comes out of it. And Norwood did win the kick returning job, I believe. Right. So, uh, possibly first play of the game, he could get the ball. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's out there with Malik Cooper. I don't know if they'll, they'll drop both guys back out there. I'd be lying to you if I said I knew how many, you know, touchbacks, you know, Duke's place kicker has, if he's a guy that just consistently puts the ball in the back of the end zone. But um, they, again, they keep describing, keep describing him as fast. So, yeah, he could certainly make an impact in the return game as well. Um, so for Friday, is there anything you can tell us about this Duke team, uh, you know, scouting report? I know they announced their starting quarterback just the other day, um, but anything that you guys looked into so far? Just, you know, Riley Leonard at one point was competing for that starting job with Jordan Moore, and they've kind of moved him to what they consider to be a more multidimensional role on offense, primarily at receiver. And the, and the, the, Bleem Temple football podcast I do with Adam DeMichael. He mentioned that they like Jordan Moore coming out of high school. They think he's really talented, but it sounds like Riley Leonard kind of won that job, you know, fairly convincingly. He's 6'4", 212, doesn't, you know, had, doesn't have a ton of experience on his side. Played in seven games last year, started one of them, 381 yards and a touchdown through an interception. You, he can run it a little bit too, uh, but again, he's, he's, playing for a new offensive coordinator and Kevin Johns who came over from Memphis. So we can, I guess, reasonably assume that, that they're going to run a lot of up-tempo stuff and talking to Adam about this last night and tempo is not a new thing. No huddle stuff isn't a new thing, but the, the, the trick every time for a defense is, can you, can you survive it? Can you anticipate what you need to do without, without subbing, not getting tired, you know, on the on the plus side of it for Duke, if they keep moving the ball, moving the ball, you can you can get down there and score really quickly and wear a defense out. But if you're frenzied, no huddle, you can go three and out really quickly, and uh, and keep your defense out there for a while. So, but you but, know, I, I think he's got some he's got some ability. I wouldn't expect him to. I I wouldn't expect Riley Leonard to come in and and um, you know be a guy who doesn't look tested at all. Uh, they lost a very good running back in Mateo Durant. I, 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 I said I was going to check on this last night. I still forgot. I think he was an undrafted rookie free agent with the Steelers. I don't know if he made the team or if he's a practice squad guy, uh, but he was a 1,200-yard rusher last year. So that's a that's a loss for them. Um, I don't know if they'll use Jordan Moore on, on jet sweeps and stuff like that. Uh, Jordan Waters might be their lead back. He, he averaged – better than five yards of carry last year, 197 yards, but I don't know how much of that came in, you know, in, in, you know, some late garbage time. Again, they were a, they were a three and nine team that went winless in the ACC last year. So, um, and on the other side of the ball, Mike Elko has a ton to clean up. They were dead last in the FBS and in, in, um, 
in total defense last year, they're averaging 40 points a game, 518 yards a game. Um, they've got a, a, a pretty good linebacker in Shaka Hayward. Um, he's third team all ACC last year has nine and a half sacks in his career. He's on the senior uh, senior bowl watch list. They usually are pretty good at evaluating guys. Um, I don't know how much he's going to play, but they have a, a, a recruit that they're excited about. And Vincent Anthony Jr. is a true freshman. He was a four-star guy out of Jordan High School in Durham right there. So he's a hometown kid. Um, but again, I, the question there is, you know, again, I, I'm sure if we were sitting here talking to Mike Alco, he'd probably say something similar to what Stan Drayton has said. Am I going to implement my entire culture in year one? Am I going to clean everything up in year one? No, he's got a lot of recruiting to do. Probably has to recruit to every single position group on that defense, but he's a very, very good defensive coach, a very good defensive coordinator. In uh, another time and another place might have ended up as Temple's head coach. I, I always got the indication that that job was his if he wanted it before before Manny Diaz took it and then gave it back. So um, he's a very good defensive mind. The question is, how much does he have to work with versus how much can he clean up and say, hey, I like this kid. He was just being utilized improperly or I like this kid. We just tighten up his technique. He turns into a really good defensive tackle, linebacker, so on and so forth. But he's got a lot, he's got a lot to, to work with there. Again, he's both of these coaches are walking into situations that are rebuilt. They're not not walking into situations where the previous coach left it in better shape. You know, at one point, David Cutcliffe was doing a great job at Duke, but things fell off there. So again, Elko's got his hands full, but you know, I wouldn't sell him short as a, as a, as a good defensive mind too. So, you know, there are some guys to be mindful of on that side of the ball, but that's what makes this such an interesting opener because and they're both rebuilding teams with a lot of question marks. And so there's, there's more unknown than known, which can be kind of fun. Yeah. And, and it's funny you brought up, uh, you know, Mike Elko almost had, you know, could have had this job. And uh, it's funny to think that he, how different uh, history would have been at Temple if that had happened. Um, but I, I really like him a lot as a coach. I think he will do a good job down there at Duke. Um, and as I said, I did a, a show for a Duke podcast last night, and they're the guy who was hosting it. He basically said, yeah, Stan Drayton and Elko are in the same boat right now. It's trying to like, – as Stan Drayton's bringing back the single-digit guys and they've all been talking to Temple, uh, it sounds like uh, Elko's been doing similar things down there and getting former players who have been successful at Duke to kind of show this is the tradition we have and these are the things that we do well. Um, let's get back to those roots. Um, I'm glad you brought up how awful their defense was last year. Um, cause the, the guy said when all, I think all nine of their cornerbacks left last year, Duke's cornerbacks, like entire secondary almost left. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the guy said he wasn't upset about it. He was, he was like, cool, let's get some new defensive players in here. Cause our D their defense was that bad. Um, yeah. interestingly enough, you mentioned that their offensive coordinator is, was Memphis's last year. Mm -hmm. Um, their defensive coordinator was Rutgers last year, which I did not know that. Yeah. Again, I, you know, I hate to sound like a broken record, but I think he's brought in a pretty solid staff and he's in the exact same boat as Stan. I think that, you know, either way, if if Mike Elko gets a win in his opener against the Temple team, I'm sure the Duke fan base, fan base might look at might look at that and say, okay. You beat a you beat a three and nine Temple team that didn't beat anybody other than Memphis last year and never won after beating uh -huh. Memphis. Um, and then if Temple wins, it's 
cool, you went down and beat the worst team in the ACC last year. But I still think, you know, if if Temple goes down and wins at Duke in, in their opener, again, good opening statement for, for Stan Drayton, but I still think it's impressive for him to go down there and get the better of a guy who's a pretty good coach. And, you know, on the flip side of it for Mike Elko, again, he's got a ton to clean up down there. And I think it's a feather in his cap of if he wins the opener, you know, it's a different situation, but I think of, you know, in Matt rules second season, right. They went down to Vanderbilt and one down there, Vanderbilt wasn't going to remind anybody, you know, of Alabama or Florida or anything like that, but was still a bit of a statement for them to go down there on, on the road and, and win when you have, um, and it would be in this case for either of these coaches when they have this many new pieces and moving parts. Yeah. And, uh, I, somebody actually brought this, I don't know if it was a tweet or something, uh, Temple, I think that Vanderbilt Temple game was the first game ever on the SEC network or was the first team to beat somebody on the SEC network. It was it was a weird tweet. And I was like, I never would have guessed that. <laughs> I don't remember what I do remember about that game is I filed my game story and posted my game story at like probably like three in the morning because there was that that long lightning delay. Yep. Um, it was uh, it was it was by the time the game was over, it was late. It was after midnight and then you have the interviews and I think we were talking to some players down in, you know, on the field, I think. I can't I can't remember, but it was a late night. Fun trip. Fun trip nonetheless. Some some good barbecue down there. Kyle teases me because I uh say that I normally hate chain restaurants, but there was a PF Chang's in our hotel and I was craving PF Chang's. I said we're eating at PF Chang's. He was like, Why? Why wouldn't we go to a barbecue place? It's like they'll probably have it in the press box and they did, and everything worked out for everyone. So <laughs> um you you are making the trip this uh week, right? You'll yes, be down there. Yeah. Uh is it you and Javon going or Javon's going. Uh Don Otto, our photographer, will, will be there. Nick Gangweer, who's the the sports editor at the Temple News, will be tagging along on our road trip. So I told him I'd, I'd give him a lift down there. So yeah, we'll be down there covering the game. Are you guys heading down Thursday or Friday? Friday morning. Friday morning. All right, cool. Yes. Um I, me and my mom, are, we're going down Thursday, and for those of you uh, also going down, Rob Silk's been posting on Facebook. They're all meeting somewhere Thursday night, so I'll tweet that out Thursday night. Um, John, final question. Does Temple win this game? No. Um, <laughs> I, I, if I'm sticking consistent, if I'm going to be consistent with what I said on our Believe in Temple football podcast last night with Adam to Michael. I think Duke's a seven point favorite in the game. I am by no means in my experienced and or highly accurate guy, you know, picking, you know, against, uh, against the spread with the spread. Um, so I'm not a betting expert, but I kind of just have a feeling like Duke's going to win this game. I don't think Temple's going to look terrible in this game. Um, I, I, Adam and I were, were going over like our, our keys to the game and I think for both teams, but especially Temple, I think it's a lot of it is going to be how do they handle sudden change? That is like really to me at the heart of how they turn things under, uh, turn things around under Al Golden years ago. Because, you know, if you followed this program in the, the mid 90s, the late 90s, you know, the bad years with Ron Dickerson, the struggling years with, with Bobby Wallace, you know, they would, they would be like that underdog fighter that would cut you know, cut the heavily favored fighter, like, you know, like Rocky punching Ivan Drago and, you know, the Russians cut, like they would, they would score a touchdown against a, a Miami team with Frank Gore and Andre Johnson. And then 
Miami would just turn on the Jets and Ken Dorsey, <laughs> boom, 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 down the, again, playing against really good players. But at some point in the game, Temple would just become very much unhinged. And like once one play happened, the, the floodgates open and it would just turn into a, uh, a bad scene for them. So, you know, what happens Friday night if, you know, if Temple fumbles the opening kickoff, if, they, if they're set to receive and Jakari Norwood fumbles and Duke starts, you know, you know, first and 10 from Temple 17, does the, does the defense buck up, you know, does, you know, does Jordan McGee make a stop in the backfield? Does Darian Barner get a sack? That's responding well to sudden change. That's hard to do to, to, to manage a lot of those ups and downs again with a new staff. Stan talked about that, I think on, on, uh, on Monday, you know, yesterday, you know, not only is he managing the, the, the emotions uh, of a new, a new team to him, but he's managing the emotions of, of a team that's just playing in their season opener and wants to come out with their hair on fire. And sometimes you can overcompensate as a player when that happens. So it's going to be a lot of, okay, they're going to scout what Duke did last year. They're going to scout what A&M did on defense. They're going to scout what Memphis did on offense and try to anticipate some looks on both sides of the ball. And then they're going to have to adjust in game. And again, like just make sure that they're sound in special teams uh, and all those areas. But, you know, how they manage any sort of sudden change is going to be really key. And if, and if they end up winning because of that, then I think that's a, a huge character builder for them. I don't, I don't think that if they win Friday, that means that they're, you know, heading straight to the top of the American Athletic Conference standings, but I, I think it'll be impressive nonetheless. But my gut's telling me that they lose by by ten, but I have been known to be wrong, so we'll we'll see. That's I, I've gone back and forth when the schedule first came out. I was like, they'll probably lose by like twenty, thirty, and then you know, as the season comes closer, I convince myself they can win. I think last week I was like more in like, all right, maybe they lose by like seven. Uh, but I, I'm going to say, I said it last night on, when I did the Duke show, I said, I think they win 24-21. I don't know. I'm feeling Stan Drayton has some luck with this team. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm not, I'm also not a gambler or good predictor either. So don't go by me. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see. It should be, uh, it's, it should be fun. And I mean, if I, I would be surprised, I'll say, I'll be surprised if they get blown out. I wouldn't anticipate them getting blown out if they do. And it's a story where, you know, that defense looks really good and they're super technically sound. And Mike Alco has taken that that defense from point A to point Z in a hurry. Then you tip your cap to him and then you go back to the drawing board and say, all right, you know, maybe it's a situation where James Favreau and, and Jermaine Donaldson do get blown up a little bit up the middle. But I we don't know. Uh, that's why it's a hard game to predict. But I, I although I'm predicting a loss for whatever it's worth, I, I would be mildly surprised if, if Temple gets blown out in this game. Well, John, we will find out Friday night. Um, I'll I'll try to link up with you down there. John, thank you for doing this as always. I know you got a busy schedule, so thank you for taking the time and doing this. All right. No problem, so I'm glad to do it, bud. Talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. And as always, I'll be back.